0: It's the textbook definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to just get a different result when you live a self-centered life it's completely unfulfilling it is it's always been and it always will be when you go into a relationship you single folks expecting that person to be all about you you keep finding that they're not why because they're all about them so you should expect the next person to all of a sudden think it's all about you because outside of jesus it's all about us it's all about me and you're all about you we're not about each other it's a mess Our motivations, our actions, they're often carried out with primary consideration given to our own desires or to please others. When that's the case, we don't have a proper respect for the authority of our Father. Don't give preference to the world. Today, as Pastor Daniel teaches from Ecclesiastes 3, we'll discover the beauty of fearing God and being governed by Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 12, with his continuing study entitled, Beauty, Eternity, Mystery, and Reality. What that means is that what God is doing in the season of your life now, it may not be seen as beautiful yet, but there will come a time when you will look at and you will say, oh, what God has done. A lot of you know my story. My mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was 19. My mother passed away when I was 21. And I'll be honest, that was a nasty season. You know what's amazing? God has made such a tragic loss of a 49-year-old young mother to be one of the most beautiful things. Because I, looking back with the lens of the Holy Spirit... To be able to see what's gone on and I see how God has worked. And don't get me wrong, I give a lot of it back to spend more time with my mom. God doesn't need that event to do what he's doing. But God takes that event, all the tragedy and the seasonalness of it. And he says, look, I am going to bring beauty out of ashes. I'm going to take a hard time and I'm going to make something so gorgeous. It's like when spring comes, some of you are going to rototill your garden it's been all grown up. There's all these little plants and everything. You're like, I, I need to start over and so you rototill it. It's beautiful, green, colorful. And all of a sudden it gets rototilled. Know what it looks like? Ugly. It's brown. But why do you rototill it? Because you're going to plant something new. And six months later, all of a sudden, when everything's blossoming, they're like, yeah, it used to look like an ugly rototilled garden. And now look at it. It's a, it's a paradise. I remember talking with Pastor Bill. And you, Pastor Bill loves his you know, it, all of his landscaping. And I remember I was like, so what was it like when you first started? It was like, oh, it looked terrible. All the stuff got thrown in there, all these plants and everything. And all of a sudden, a couple years later, when it's all starting to blossom, it looks amazing. And that's how God uses the seasons of our lives. In his time, he makes it beautiful. And so what we should be saying is, Lord, I don't get the season, but I am hoping and trusting that you will make this beautiful. You will bring beautiful things. We should expect beauty. Why should we expect beauty? Because notice what it says. Not only will he make everything beautiful in its time, not our time, its time, also he has put eternity in their hearts. There it is, right there. Beautiful. Not only should we expect beauty, we should expect eternity. Why? Because God fixed your heart for eternity. God knows God knows that this is not all that there is and he places it in our hearts. And if you're here today and you're like, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you're like, I don't understand why I'm drawn to this because God fitted your heart for eternity. You were pre-wired, not just for 49 years like my mom or 26 or 27 years or 80 years. You were fitted for ages upon ages without end and God already placed eternity deep within you. And that's why there's such this draw to Jesus in our hearts. Because God is saying, look, this life is not all that there is. There's more. You're created for more, greater days. And that's how God makes things beautiful, because he starts to give us the long view. He's placed eternity in our hearts. And I'm here to tell you, brother and sister, when it comes to sharing your faith, which we all should be doing, this verse is a game changer. You know why? Because no matter how angry somebody is about Jesus, God has placed eternity in their hearts already. It's just a no matter how much garbage they're trying to cover it up with. When someone's like, oh, I don't like talking about Jesus and you shouldn't talk to me about Jesus. As I like to say, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that gets hit. And I was that guy. So I know from experience, my friends who started walking with Jesus, I'd be like, oh, I'd I'd just rip into them, jersey style. It was mean. I made Chris Christie look like a poodle. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I mean, I would just lay into them. (laughs) It's hard to kick against the gods because God placed eternity in us. And when you start talking to someone about sin, forgiveness, eternity, heaven, It's already in their hearts. They can't do anything about it. They can fight against it. They can try and study against it. It's already there. It's already in there. Because God has placed it in there. And when you do cross-cultural missionary work, when you go to unreached people groups, or you go to your neighbor down the block, God has already placed eternity in the hearts of every single living soul. So you already have the in. It's just a matter of how much garbage you got to get through to get there. And most of us, No matter how much garbage is built up, we want to quit before we get there. But God does the work. He just uses us as instruments. So expect beauty. Expect eternity. And not only beauty and eternity, like, oh, this is great. But then notice, and this is not very much fun for us in 21st century America with the things that we value, i.e. knowing everything about everything. Notice what it says, except, middle of verse 11, that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. Not only should we expect beauty and eternity, but brothers and sisters, you have to expect mystery because God has not given us all the answers. We do not understand what God is doing sometimes. And in a culture like ours, where we have so much control over everything, we struggle a lot with this. Don't we? Because we just want to know. We want to be able to say, oh, this is what's going on right now. I don't know how many times people said, Pastor, I just don't understand what God's doing. I'm like, yeah, me neither. And they're like, well, what good are you? I'm like, probably not much. Because nobody knows all that God has done and is doing from the beginning to the end. That's why it's called faith. Because God is infinite and we are finite. God is all-knowing and we are not as knowing as we think we are. And so you have to expect that there's just some aspects of life you're just going to like, I just don't get it. And that's okay because God knows what he's doing. God doesn't tell us that we need to know everything. He, we just need to trust him in the midst of it. And isn't that true of humanity? We struggle with this because we want to know everything. I want to have it all dialed in. And that's the downside of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. We were told that we were going to have every answer to everything. And that's why, like, you listen to someone like Richard Dawkins, very decorated, lots of PhDs. And he, in the name of biology, is actually a theologian. He's an ah theologian. He doesn't believe in God. And he says things like, and this guy's a PhD, he's supposed to be a scientist. Everything he does is based on observation. If there was a God, I, for one, would be very disappointed. I'm like, well, that's philosophy. That's not science. Your preference is that there is no God. And it's interesting, like someone like Francis Collins, who was chairing the Human Genome Project, where they mapped human DNA, he's a raging theist. He believes in God. He's like, how can I not look at this and believe that there was an intelligent creator who made all this? This is too insane to be random. It's too complex. It makes no sense. One of our biggest struggles as humans is going to be to be okay holding on to mystery. We weren't raised for it. We were raised to have everything in its box. Now I'm here to tell you that God is too big to be put in a box. God's wisdom is too big. And you have to be okay with saying, God, I just don't get it. But I love you still because you get it. That's the childlike faith that we need, brothers and sisters. To say, God, I just don't understand. And I'd like, I'd like for you to tell me, but if you don't tell me, it doesn't change my view of you, God. And that puts God on the throne. And most times, the reason we get upset with God is because we want to be on the throne. I want to know the facts, God. You have to explain this to me right now, or else I will not worship you. And we laugh, but don't we do that? I mean, I do that. Am I the only sinner in the room? God, I hope not. I do that all the time. I'm like, Lord, if you don't explain this to me right now, I'm, like, I'm just not praising you. Nope. But every time I breathe, I praise Him, whether I realize it or not. We have to expect beauty and eternity and mystery because God doesn't give us all the answers. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 11, verse 33. I love this. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. It's saying, man, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God is unsearchable. We'll spend our whole lives plumbing the depths of God's wisdom and his love. His ways are unknowable in their totality. His ways are past finding out. But yet we search them out still. We say, Lord, this life, This life is about understanding enough, knowing that there's going to come a day later. It's going to come a day later when I'm going to know just as I am known. There's going to come a day when God's going to open our eyes after we shed this skin and we're going to understand all of it and we're going to be blown away by his goodness and his love and his justice and his grace. But until then, we have to expect mystery, expect beauty, expect eternity in the midst of the here and now. Look at verse 12. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice, to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. See, he comes back in every season. He says, listen, do good and enjoy the life that God has given you. I want you to write that down. Do good and enjoy the life that God has given you. How many of us are not enjoying the life that God has given us? Now, there's two reasons why we often don't. One is we're not doing good. And listen, you're not going to enjoy your life if it's all about you. We all have enough experience in trying to do it for ourselves, and we all know it's futile. But we keep doing it. It's the textbook definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again... And expecting to get a different result When you live a self-centered life It's completely unfulfilling It is It's always been and it always will be When you go into a relationship You single folks Expecting that person to be all about you You keep finding that they're not Why? Because they're all about them So you should expect the next person To all of a sudden think it's all about you Because outside of Jesus it's all about us when it's all about me and you're all about you We're not about each other It's a mess See, do good and enjoy the life God has given you. Learn to be content. Say, God, yeah, my house isn't the biggest. I'm not the tallest, most handsome. I'm going bald prematurely, or I have more hair than I probably should. Whatever your season is, just say, Lord, this is the life you've given me. I said it a million times. I would have loved to have been a center on a basketball team. There's just something so cool about you know it's basketball season. Like those guys were seven feet tall, with like seven foot hands, and, and they and they post up in the paint, kind of like Randy White a little bit, you know. It's like you, know, you post up in the paint. Yeah, Randy's a tall guy, you know, and they, and they just give you the ball down low, and then you are just bodying them back. You push them back, and you just dunk on them. Like there's something so like masculine about that. And I remember growing up, you know, I've I've always been vertically disinclined. And so I would be like, I'm the center, and my friends would be like, dude, you're not even tall enough to be a point guard. I'm like, oh come on. And they they bring it down low and I try and push the guys back and they'd just be like, You know? <laughs> push me down, I'd get up all scrappy. And I would try and dunk, and I'll be honest, I've never touched rim. <laughs> not even on a seven-foot rim. I'm just I just don't got the ups for that. I could spend my whole life being mad at God that he didn't make me seven feet tall. Or I can just make do with what he's given me. Short and scrappy. Not belonging on a basketball court. I can watch it, just don't get me playing. And sometimes people are like, hey, Pastor James, you should come play basketball. I'm like, nah. Cause you know what I learned because I was so small? I'm like, I can't really play basketball. I just, want, I just foul out. So like later you put me in the basketball game, I'm like, I'll give you six fouls, I'm out. That was the end of my basketball career. I mean, who wants a guy who fouls people in about five minutes of sitting on the bench? Like, yeah, I gave my six fouls. And they weren't even good fouls either. It's just bad, it bad. So do good and enjoy the life that God has given you. And the only way you can enjoy the life that God has given you is if you do good. It's the only way. Now, look what happens in verse 14. I know that whatever God does... It shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God does it that man should fear before him. That which is has already been and that which is to be has already been and God requires an account of what is past. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. You have these seasons of life. Then you have this expectation of beauty, of mystery, and of eternity. And then we come back down to what we've been talking about, that God is in control. That's what these verses tell us, that God is the one in control. In a world where you can't find the security that you want, you have to look outside of yourself to the only place that there is true security, and that is in God himself. Look at what it says. It says, whatever God does, it shall be forever. Our works are impermanent. God's works are permanent. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken away from it. God's works are complete. They they don't need anything else, and nothing can be removed from what God has done. God does it that men should fear before him that which has already been, and what is to be has already been, but God requires an account of what is past. See, God's actions are totally secure. And the only proper response is for you and I to fear God. To say, look, I'm not in control. You're in control. I don't have the authority. You have the authority. My life is weighed by you, not by me and not by my peers in the world around me. And that should cause us to fear God. And that fear is both a reverence for God or a respect for God. And it's also because of the love relationship we have with God, we should fear to hurt God's heart, to break God's heart. That's the two, two ways to fear the name of the Lord is one is a healthy respect of authority. I use the same example and it's, it's all too real and we all experience it. I always use it. You ever drive down the road? You guys driven? Cars? Yeah? How many times you drive down the road and you notice that there's a black and white car with lights on top behind you? Ever happen? No matter how safely and perfectly you're driving, what happens? You get nervous, hit your brake, right? How many times have you jammed on your brake going the speed limit? A lot, right? Why? Because that police officer has the authority to pull you over and give you a ticket that you don't want to pay for. So even if you're going perfectly, the respect for the position causes you to jam on your brakes. That's a proper respect for authority. How often, right, you're driving the cops, you look down, you jam your brakes, then you're 10 and 2, like perfect driving school. (laughs) And normally you're not looking in the rearview mirror, but every two seconds you're like... And then you start thinking, I wonder if my taillight's out. Oh, no. Do I have anything in the car? It's like, you haven't had anything in the car in 100 years, but you're worried about it. That's my experience, man. See, I'm just freaking out. Like, there's, a, there's a cop on me. I'm not even doing anything wrong. I'm the pastor at Crossroads. <laughs> but I fear that cop because he could give me a ticket. And we, how much more should we fear God who our entire lives are an open book to? It's not like, imagine when the cop pulls you over, he can look back on every time you've ever driven your car and give you a ticket for all the infractions. Oh my goodness. That would make it infinitely more terrifying. I mean, everything, everything. Oh. Every time you text while you drove, you get a ticket for that. Every time you roll through a stop sign and you're, In your neighborhood, everything That's what it's like living before the almighty God Not just he pulls you over and gives you a ticket for what you did He's got your whole life written down He knows everything And we should respect the authority that And not only respect his authority But respect the relationship that we have with him How often is the greatest deterrent Not wanting to break someone's heart who you love That's not a bad deterrent for rebellion You husbands, you should fear to break your wife's heart You should not want to make that girl cry ever. And that should keep you from doing all sorts of dumb things that you would do if she wasn't there. And you wives, same thing. You should fear breaking your husband's heart. Now, sure, breaking your husband's heart, it won't look the same as if he breaks your heart. But he's still going to feel that. And in our fear of God, we should fear breaking God's heart. We should say, God, I love you. I don't want want you to be bummed out by who I am and what I do and how I do it. Those are healthy deterrents because God's in control. He's got this thing dialed in. And notice, it even says it's like in verse 16, in the place of judgment or justice, there's wickedness. In the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. See, he's looking at the world's like, look, the world just ain't right. Where there should be justice, there's wickedness. Where there should be righteousness, there's iniquity. It's all messed up. But then I said to my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time and a And there is, for every purpose, for every work, he's saying, look, God's in control. Even though right now it looks like unrighteousness and wickedness is having its way, God's going to put things to right. God is in control. So in every season, we expect beauty, mystery, eternity. God is in control. And look at how this chapter closes. Look at what happens here. In verse 18, I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth. So I perceived that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? See, we get to the end here, and the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, man's really no different from animals. Animals are made of dust, so is humankind. Death happens to men and animals. What's the difference? But then, you notice, it's an honest statement. He's like, man, it's like we're no different than the dog, than the cat. But then everything turns. Notice what it says in verse 21. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men which goes upward and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth? Right there. That's the difference between us and the animal kingdom. That's the difference right there. Is that you and I have the ability to prepare ourselves for the hereafter. So, brothers and sisters, we need to remember the hereafter. Jesus is real. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would. Simply respond to Jesus That's a big idea for me For Crossroads Community Church And for Jesus Is Real Radio That each one of us would meet with Jesus What I like to say at street level Because Jesus is right where you are He is right there in the middle of your situation And in the middle of your circumstances Jesus is right there And Jesus wants each one of us to learn How to simply respond to Him What that means is that at every moment Jesus prompts us and we take that step And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program That you would find yourself each day Simply responding to Jesus more and more You'll become more loving, more kind more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real, and he is, and he exists right where you are, and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and in your world. God bless you so much.